0: Good morning. It is really a, a gift for Lori and I to get to be here with you because uh, we, we love your church. I trust you know that. We love your pastors. I uh, was bound to bring you greetings from Aaron and Holly Mayfield who were at one point members and served an internship here at this church. I want to greet you on their behalf. I also want to greet you On behalf of Stan and Judy Boulay, who are longtime members of this church, are now members of our church, you'll be happy to know that Stan has kept up with his unique gift of encouragement um, in our church. Stan decided that I was an appropriate target since he didn't have Jim anymore. I was the right target, so he regularly tells me, you're not much, but you're all we have. Um, So Stan represents you faithfully. um, I, I also just want to express on behalf of our church, I, I I don't always get to be here, often get to be here, so I, I want to be, I want to seize the moment to express our gratefulness for you, Covenant Fellowship. Um, our church would not exist without the partnership that we enjoy together. In a very particular way, our church has benefited from the model and example and friendship of your pastors. I could echo Jared's words exactly. I've been telling Jared for years the biggest problem he's going to have is saying no to all the invitations he gets because of my personal promotion of him. I try to tell everybody I can, look, if if you want a a moment with your church conference gathering, whatever to be successful, invite Jared, get him there uh, to speak uh, to your people. Um, we, We just are indebted to you. We're indebted to you for the way that you send and release your pastors. Even just next week, Jim is going to be with us, teaching us on evangelism, benefiting our church and our team, Jared has countless times benefited my soul with his example, his encouragement, his joy, his faith. I could go down the list of your pastors, the difference they have made in our lives, and I know that means that you have given up time with them, given up time with them on Sundays. You remind me of the church in Antioch that sent out their best so that the gospel mission could go forward. Well, Let me give you a report, if I can, from Corinth and tell you that your sending of these men has proven invaluable to us. And we count ourselves indebted to you every Sunday. So please receive our gratefulness as a church, my personal gratefulness, and the joy that we have in partnering together in this family of churches to see the gospel go forward. Isn't isn't gospel partnership a, a gift that we don't do this alone. We have churches around the world who are singing the same songs and are celebrating the same Lord Jesus. So it is a gift to be partnered together. Um, I'd like to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. Jared invited me to bring this word to you this morning from this passage. I I love this passage, and I, I am hopeful that As we read it, we'll remember that this is God's word. It's not just a delightful story. It's it's a God-written story intending to transform us, to shape our view of the Lord Jesus Christ, to transform our affections. We come to it with that expectation, as I know you do every week. Let's come to it with that view, that hunger this morning. Let's read together the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took "'a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard "'and anointed the feet of Jesus "'and wiped his feet with her hair. "'The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. "'But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, "'he who was about to betray him, said, "'Why was this ointment not sold? "'For 300 denarii and given to the poor.' He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it.
1: Jesus said, Leave her
0: alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not Always have me.
1: Lord, bless the preaching and the obeying of
0: your word. When I was a boy, I have a, a family memory that's very precious to me. My my family had gathered with, with my, my extended relatives, my mother's family, my grandparents. My grandfather was still alive at that time. And part of the surprise of the morning was that my aunt had found an old picture of his dad, my great-grandfather, had been dead for many years, and had had it blown up and set it in a nice frame, and as the morning progressed, we were all anticipating uh, this, this unveiling, this surprise, and so the moment came, and he was handed this wrapped package, and the room went quiet, you know those moments where you you 're all leaning in and there 's a sense of, of drama and anticipation, like my, my grandfather was a, a, a somewhat stern man uh, he was he was uh, emotional, usually in an aggressive kind of way, he was not prone to emotionalism. Uh, he was not particularly tender kind of individual. We all loved him, but he was kind of gruff so this is going to be an interesting moment. to see how he handled, handled this well, the, the moment came we 're all watching, and he he opens the packaging, and he just
1: stares. Few expressions escape his lips, but he's just overcome. Very unusual for him, overcome with emotion. Finally, he's just able to get out. The phrase, that is the best man I ever knew. it was a precious family moment this
0: is a cosmic moment it's a cosmic moment but i think the principle the principle is the same our affection reveals what we value our affection reveals what we treasure we are affectionate and affected by the things we treasure most my grandfather was able to have that experience because he valued his father that was the best man I ever knew and the the corresponding affection came out of him well that is true also of our view of the Lord Jesus Christ Our affection for him should measure up to, should be in keeping with his value. His worthiness should be reflected in our affection. And so John writes this story, this precious story, about the moments leading up to Jesus' death because he wants to impress upon us the value of Jesus Christ and to impress us with the calling we have to measure our affection in keeping with his value. Now, this story has three main characters, and so I'm going to divide it up in telling it to those three characters. Let's begin with Mary. Mary's affection. Mary's affection. We notice there in verse 1 it says six days before the Passover. We want to note that marker. We'll get back to that marker uh, at the end. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, and surely the most understated of sentences, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And I love the next word because I just find it humorous. So... (laughs) So they gave a dinner for him there. I mean, one gets the sense of understated humor in John. What shall we do since Lazarus is now alive? Well, I guess we should give a dinner for Jesus. That seems like a good response. Let's not let him go hungry since he raised our brother from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, as always, and Lazarus was, again, understatement in John. One of those reclining at table is the guy who was just dead Lazarus reclines at the table Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment and goes goes forth so the first thing we have in these first couple of verses is Mary's motivation for John the motivation that we're about to see is that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead it had not been that long previous when the cries around the hills of Bethany would have been resounding with the wails of professional mourners this was a well-off family in all likelihood they would have hired professional mourners who would have been shrieking and wailing and yet the sound around that tomb had then changed from shrieking and wailing to one authoritative voice Lazarus come forth and out he comes unwrap him Jesus says and let him go and then they're going to have dinner with this resurrected brother there reclining next to Jesus. So, so the, the motive here is that for Mary, Jesus is quite literally the resurrection and the life. He is quite literally the one who can call out the dead from their graves. He is quite literally the one who can reverse the effects of the fall in her own personal experience. She went from wailing to rejoicing, from mourning her brother to embracing him, and Jesus is the cause. So the motive for her affection is that Jesus is the one who delivered her brother from death. That's the beginning here. That's the motivation. But we also want to notice the measurement of her affection. Notice the measurement. John takes pains to give us the details. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The
1: house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume.
0: Now, these actions are meant to have a a shock effect upon us. They they are meant to affect us deeply. They would have affected the original readers and certainly anybody in the room. They would have affected their senses. They certainly would have affected their sense of decorum. They would have affected their sense of her dignity and value as a woman. They they would have affected everybody in, in a shocking degree. To anoint with oil at all was not necessary. To anoint with this nard perfume, it was a display of impossible extravagance, unthinkable extravagance. Judas would even say wasteful extravagance. We find out later that this is worth 300 denarii, roughly a year's wages for a working man. She pours it out in a single moment this one who has brought her brother back to life who spoke into the grave and the grave obeyed she pours out in a in a moment of unbelievable extravagance shocking affection this perfume to anoint him the point of the display is that nothing is held back and here here mental affirmation thank you lord jesus is simply insufficient There has to be a display, a costly display. An extravagant display is the only thing that will appropriately reflect what he has done, who he is. Nothing less for
1: Mary can compute the value of
0: Jesus. We also want to notice the mode of this affection. Mary pours this oil on his feet. She then wipes them
1: with her hair. In this culture, to wash the feet was the undignified job of the lowest slave. It was
0: the job below any person of dignity. No one washed the feet. We, We probably don't even have a job like that today. In our culture, where, where this kind of, of, of job is, is often mechanized, we, we, we don't have this kind of, of caste system in, in quite the way they would have experienced it here. And so we, we need to, to feel what is going on. here. Here's a woman that, culturally speaking, would have been a woman of great means, stature, and dignity, literally tossing aside any reference to her own station in life, her own respectability, and literally putting herself in the lowest mode possible. For a woman, her hair was, culturally speaking, a sign of glory. So she considers her sign of glory to be worth only the washing of his most lowly and humble parts. Having trodden through the dirty and filthy streets, Mary considers these feet belonging to this person need drying, and I cannot do that with only a mere towel. This is worth the greatest, the highest honor I can give is worth just attending to his feet. My most priceless heirloom is worth giving him in a moment. He deserves a year's wages just for this moment. She casts her dignity aside. She casts her sense of decorum She casts aside any sense of respectability or value in the culture. She casts aside any reputation. She casts it aside and says, listen, nothing matters compared to his worthiness. Nothing matters compared to his greatness. No cultural standings or no dignity that I have, so to speak, in this society. None of that matters. Nothing that I would keep from myself matters compared to saying
1: how valuable this one is. You have to feel the shock in the room.
0: Now, surely most people in the room thought Jesus was worthy of the dinner. I mean, hopefully... You're not that dense in Bethany. We can spare, you know, a few extra figs for the resurrection and the life. We can help Jesus have dinner. Surely you're not that dense, but, but surely this level seemed extravagant to them. I don't know, maybe Mary was an emotional person. Maybe they were tempted to think, well, that's just Mary. She's always doing things like this.
1: I would imagine that Lazarus agreed with her.
0: I don't imagine that Lazarus was thinking, oh, Mary, we've been saving that for years. I imagine Lazarus thought, yes. What else can we give him? Don't you think? Don't you think that that even if the room was surprised, Lazarus probably agreed? I think Mary agreed. Mary said, look, you don't understand. If I had more, I would pour out more on him. If, if I had a higher glory than the, my hair, I, I would give that to him. If I had any, it doesn't anything. What, what, what can I possibly show to reveal his value to me? There, there's not, I, I, there, there is no, nothing I can hold back. There's nothing I would hold in reserve. I'm not saving up something for myself. He's here in my living room and I have to display his value. Yes,
1: Mary's but not everyone in the room agrees point number two
0: Judas' objection Judas' objection Judas Iscariot one of the disciples he who was about to betray him
1: said why why was this ointment
0: not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor John wants there to be no No mistaking Judas' true motive, so he explains, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now Judas is identified here as the one who will betray Jesus. He is revealed as the one who is concerned ultimately with his own use of what is being given here to Jesus. So we want to notice a couple things about Judas here. Notice that what comes out of a cold heart is often more religious and whitewashed than the reality of that heart. Did you notice that? It's not as though Judas is so blind that he's willing to say what's really going on in his heart. And isn't that true of many religious people, including myself? He's not going to say, why was it given to Jesus? I would like it for myself. Judas is not going to say that, so he'll come up with a religious-sounding reason. We could have sold it, for, give it to the poor. This is, Jesus doesn't need that. I mean, maybe a drop, and can we sell the rest of it? Jesus isn't worthy. This level of extravagance is, is, is extreme. But the reality of his heart is he wants to worship himself, and he's offended by this level of worship for Jesus. It's possible for a heart that is cold toward Jesus to seem generous and even moral in what they say while their heart is actually offended by the very thought of extravagant
1: worship of the Lord.
0: Now, Judas should function as a profound warning to every reader of this gospel. Obviously, he is unique in redemption history. He is the betrayer of the Lord, but he is also a warning. Judas was not a Pharisee. He was not outwardly rejecting Jesus. He was just gradually allowing selfishness to consume his soul. It's not that he publicly rejected Jesus or mocked Jesus, no. It was that he privately maintained himself on the throne of his affections. And listen, once you privately maintain yourself little by little on the throne of your affections, that pattern will finally prove
1: in public moments.
0: Judas could not delight in the worship of Jesus when his everyday affections were lavished on himself, and neither can we. Listen, the human heart has a limited capacity for deep affection. Greed, self-indulgence, self-exaltation, pride. These are not only wrong in themselves, they are wrong because they use up the heart. And they turn it sour to any affection for Jesus. So I think we need to take Judas' objection here as a warning. It's not that he just spontaneously was offended. It's that he had proven selfishness to be the Lord of his heart. And here in this moment of extreme temptation, the true Lord of his heart was revealed. Why, he says. You can feel it almost bursting out of him. His ongoing discipline of selfishness proves to be strong in this moment. You can see her, her breaking this glass and just pouring it, it, dripping all over Jesus. And Judas just sees the money draining away. Oh, why? And he thinks fast. We, the poor, we could have given to the poor. But he, he can't conceal himself, can he? He can't hide his heart because he's been cultivating this selfishness one coin at a time. And brothers and sisters, that's just like us. One moment of Self-worship at a time. You know what we're doing? We're building ourselves up to be unable, incapable of extravagance towards Jesus or even enjoying it when someone else is.
1: Why, he Oh, no! No! Judas' objection reveals actually the same point. Our affections reveal what we value. Judas is revealing what he values. This is the best man I've ever known. Be warned,
0: search out your heart. Where where are those little moments of self-centeredness that ultimately are robbing you of of the ability to express appropriate affection for the Lord Jesus. Where are they? Where are they? Search out your heart right now. Search out this last week. Let's let's search it out together. Let's let the word search us. We we appropriately deplore Judas' final betrayal, but we need to be warned about the spiritual buildup that ultimately got him there. Many others... Have betrayed the Lord Jesus in little moments of trading one coin of selfishness instead of extravagant worship for the Lord. Judas' objection is, is revealing. It introduced a question also into the room. We go from Mary's shocking extravagance, now Judas' objection is raised, and there's a competing question in the room. Well, who's right? Is Mary being extravagant in an inappropriate and ridiculous sort of way? Would it have been better for her to hold this back from Jesus? Is that right? Is Judas correct? Who will decide? What is Jesus worth? As the story unfolds, this is the drama that suddenly is introduced. What is Jesus worth? Is Jesus worth that or is he not? Is this appropriate or is it not? That's the drama that is now built into the room. Judas' offensiveness floods the room right next to Mary's affection and there's a question about which is right.
1: John sets it up perfectly so that Jesus Answers. Concludes the drama and makes
0: the most important exegetical point of this passage. Jesus' sacrifice. Point number three. Jesus' sacrifice. I love the... The manliness of Jesus, not the main point here, but it's something I just love about the Lord Jesus. The manliness of Jesus has no problem. This gentle Savior has no problem publicly rebuking Judas, who is so offensively correcting Mary in this moment. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Now, I think we want to get this exactly right. Jesus' answer is that Mary, look down in your Bibles, Mary's affection for him is exactly the right thing to do. I think sometimes we read this passage, our temptation is to think the main point of this story is Mary's affection. And we could get that wrong. We could think that this story is left in the Bible primarily as a way to exalt Mary as a uniquely affectionate Christian. I think that's the wrong way to understand this passage. It's not that Mary was unique. It's that Jesus was unique and Mary was the only one that got it. You see the difference? We might be tempted to apply this passage and think, "What a great woman Mary was." And isn't it great to meet an occasional Mary in your church or in your Oh, I know who that. Oh, that's I know that she's a Mary. And we think of them like these really emotional extravagant Christians. I mean, they're the ones that really go at it and worship, and they're always ready to serve, and they're always pouring over their Bibles. They're the ones that have like 14 different color highlighters, and their Bibles just all... That's the the Marys of the church are a blessing to us. And isn't it great to have other gifts in the church? There's like the affectionate gift, and then there's all the other gifts. We love our affectionate people, but it's not for everybody. We tend to think that way. Let's applaud them. We get to heaven. You know what it's going to be? There's going to be like the Mary choir. We're just Way to go, Mary. And all these fellow Marys. Yes, amen. The Lord is worthy of Marys. I love Marys, don't you? What are we doing? We're missing the point of the passage. You know what the point of the passage is? Jesus makes it. She's right. And she's not just right for her. She's right for You. She's right for me. She's not just special, unique Mary, extra affectionate Mary, emotional Mary, always crying Mary. No, 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 no. This is Mary defining the appropriate value of Jesus Christ. What's the point of this passage? Jesus is actually worth this. He is actually worth this affection. It's not that Mary exceeded wow, above and beyond surprise and delight Jesus. No, no. This is Jesus saying, Mary, Mary gets it. And you need to get it too. And I need to get it too. Mary gets it. Leave her alone, he says. Leave her alone. So that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And and the reason of Jesus' worthiness (laughs) is Is right here in the passage. But it takes eyes of faith to see it, just like it took eyes of faith. Eyes of faith to believe in Jesus Christ being who he said he would be. It's right here in the passage. It's right there. The the only aroma that's more powerful in this passage than Mary's perfume is the aroma of Jesus approaching death. You notice from verse 1, John weaves it in. Six days before the Passover. Now, John, the writer of this gospel, has been talking about Jesus in terms of the Passover from the very beginning of this book in these these subtle, skillful ways. From the very beginning, he quotes John the Baptist as saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now we get to the moment when the Passover, that moment when the lambs were brought as a symbolic sacrifice declaring the need for atonement for sin, a covering for unrighteousness, appeasement of God's holiness. That moment, that great high moment in the Jewish calendar is coming. And isn't it interesting, John would say, that Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. He invites his readers to see a comparison between the lambs being prepared for slaughter and the Savior walking towards Jerusalem. So from the beginning of this passage, there's there's a Passover approaching, John wants us to see. And then John wraps it back around at the end to say, listen, here's why she should keep it. She should keep it for the day of my birth. The Greek grammar here is tricky, but, but essentially what he's saying is this is appropriate because this is the kind of thing you do for someone worthy who dies. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, it's as though I'm almost already dead. Another important theme to understand here is the preceding passage after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead is when the Pharisees decided, that was their, their final moment of decision, declaring that he had to be put to death. And Caiaphas unwittingly prophesied, saying it's, it's better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish. They mean it selfishly. God means it redemptively. One Better better for one man to die than a whole nation to perish. They determined to put him to death. Now, what do you do when someone's trying to put you to death? You don't go to the town where you just raise somebody from the dead. So Jesus coming to Bethany is another instance of his determination that no one takes my life from me, I lay it down of my own accord. It was almost like a a public service announcement. You want me? Here I am.
1: Jesus is going to
0: Jerusalem. He is unafraid of the Pharisees' determination to put him to death, he's unafraid of having Judas know where he is every step of the way. He knows from the beginning what his purpose is and the ultimate expression of his true value. He is here to reveal it. So he says, leave her alone, and why? Not because Judas is just being rude and selfish, but because there is a death coming that's going to reveal the worthiness of this Savior and that worthiness couldn't be measured by a thousand bottles of perfume and a thousand people pouring out their affection on Jesus like this. Leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with me. (laughs) A brilliant phrase from Jesus he commends giving to the poor but simultaneously reveals there is an opportunity right here and right now to pour out physical affection on Jesus and it is rapidly ending.
1: What's the point here? Mary was worshiping better
0: than she knew. Mary was worshiping better than she And Judas' objection was even more vile than it appeared. The central message of this story is revealed in Jesus' defense of Mary. Jesus defends precisely because he knows Mary's affection is right. He is going to the cross to rescue not just Lazarus from death, but everyone who will believe in him. And he will bring life not just by speaking a word, but by sacrificing himself on the cross. The reason it was right for Mary to anoint him is that he is the perfect lamb of God, dying so that the nation may not perish. Mary was grateful that he gave life, but she could not have known that he would give his own life. She knew he had power over the grave, but she could not have known that he would go to the grave himself. She had seen him conquer death, but not surrender to it for her sake. She had seen him speak to death with a word of command, but she had not heard his voice commit his spirit to the Father and receive the crushing blows due to our sin. She worshipped much better than she knew. And don't you wish you could be
1: there to applaud her? Don't you wish you could have been standing in that circle saying, yes, yes, Mary! Better than you know, Mary. Better than you know, Mary. Because I was in a grave too.
0: And he went into that grave and he pulled me out by his death and his resurrection. I was in bondage to it. He went in there and said, unbind him and let him go. I was dead and lost too, and he suffered death in my place. He, the righteous one, bore my sin and my shame and my punishment. And so, yes, yes, Mary, pour that out on him, because he deserves everything you can give him. Yes, Mary.
1: The value of Jesus Christ is worthy
0: of the greatest affection we can give. This passage is not about Mary. It's about how Mary's affection gives us a clue about the value of Jesus Christ. Just like our affection is not ultimately about our affection, it's about how it can reveal the worthiness of the one who died in our place, who was buried in our place, who rose in our place, who is the Lamb of God who takes away our
1: sins. The worthiness of Jesus. He is surely the greatest one we could ever know. Now, we
0: cannot anoint Jesus' body, but we should certainly anoint his presence with our song and with our lives, with our everyday life in our corporate gatherings. The fragrance of Mary's perfume should be the lifestyle of the church. That's the intended effect of the story. I want to try to apply it in two areas. Our weekdays and our Sundays. This story should provoke us to ask the question, is my affection revealing the value of Jesus Christ? I think there is a a risk for those who attend church for many years, and and that is that their, their doctrinal affirmations continue to grow while their affection for the Lord Jesus
1: begins to stagnate. And I think this
0: passage is intended, it, it, it motivates us. It motivates us to keep our affections growing. And I think that needs to happen in our, our everyday affections for Jesus. A, a few years ago, my wife and I buckled down and bought a dog because we thought our kids were at that age where well, if we don't do it now, we'll probably never do it and we need to do it now so that we're not the worst parents ever. So we got, we got a dog and I hadn't had a dog for years. We got him as a puppy and... Listen, puppies are a unique part of God's creation. <laughs> and, and so we got this puppy, and, you know, puppies have to be let out early in the morning and, and, and so forth, and we kept him downstairs. And he had his, his kennel there and so forth. And I remember when, when I would come down in the morning, and you would, you would go to open the door, this little dog, I mean, if he could talk, it would be fascinating to hear. You would imagine what he was saying is, I'm so excited to see you. I mean, I've been waiting down here for eight hours to see you, and you are the greatest thing ever. And, he's, and it's a great thing about dogs. God made them where they can't be happy and not move. So. <laughs> So he's just moving and moving, and I'm so excited. I mean, I I know you were missing me too, and I just was so happy for you to come, and isn't it so fantastic? And you know what's terrible? I'm convicted by my dog.
1: (laughs) Because I have a much better master. Did he didn't die for my dog? But Jesus died for me. Listen, our days often, my days often look more like forgetting about the Lord Jesus than running to him. And isn't he worthy of us running to him?
0: Of course, I'm talking about the mornings. I'm talking about the middle of the day and our suffering. I'm talking about the end of the day when our patience is wearing thin. I'm talking about all day long. Isn't he worthy of us running to him with affection? Thank you that I can approach you again, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that your sovereignty is caring for me. Thank you that you're the resurrection and the life so that even my worst day, I'm still headed to heaven. Isn't he worthy of us running to him every day? Look, we, we must not be a people that thinks about Jesus on Sunday and thinks about ourselves the rest of the week because that's the pattern of Judas. And if you find that Sunday your affection takes a long time to rev up, it may be that there's some way in which you've been thinking about yourself during the week and, and the heart only has so much affection to give. So let me encourage us in our weekdays, let's let's learn from the common general revelation of a puppy and and let's run towards the Lord Jesus. He is worthy. He is the best one we have ever known. He is the Lamb of God that paid for your sins this week and he invites us to run to him. Let's run to
1: him. I also think, This passage speaks to our Sundays. Our Sundays
0: should be full of affection for the Lord Jesus. Now, affection driven only by truth about the Lord Jesus. We're not affectionate about our own affection. Mary didn't pour the anointing over her own head and said, Isn't it great? I'm such an affectionate person. Look, we're not excited about ourselves. We're excited about Him and His worthiness and His greatness. And we, like her, should be careless of our own dignity. Our own reputation. I remember when I was a young boy growing up in church, and I was standing there in corporate worship. I was surrounded by wonderful godly saints who were worshiping the Lord with passion and physical expressiveness. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, it'd be good for me to express myself. To Lord. kneeling is a biblical. I should kneel, and I thought, well, I yeah, but kneeling is an extreme. You can't just go right to kneeling. I mean, that's a little bit much. So maybe what I'll do is I'll just kind of go through a week-by-week week progression. I'll kind of bow my head a little bit, and people get used to that. And then I'll kind of go a little bit lower. People get used to that. And then gradually I could sit down and have the kind of clenched focus look, and that'll be good, and I can do that. And then gradually, after a couple of weeks and a couple of months, people are like, yeah, he's just kind of down over there. And then I'll kneel, and then everybody will be like, that's, he's, I haven't seen him in a while, but he's down over there somewhere. Nobody will notice. It'll be great. It'll be like smooth worshiper of Jesus move. And then it was one of those moments where you felt like the Holy Spirit just gently comes in and says, well, or you could do that right now.
1: Listen, our body, our hearts, our
0: songs, they're all ways that we can express the value of Jesus Christ. God didn't give me a body and a voice and a mind and a heart to be reserved in the worship of Jesus Christ. He gave it to be poured out upon him probably in ways that serve others, but in ways that express, that reveal his value. Look, ask this question. Is my Sunday morning mental focus, physical expressiveness, emotional expressiveness, is it saying that
1: is the best one I know.
0: Is it undignified in appropriate corporate ways? Is it magnifying the magnifying and revealing the value of Jesus Christ? Listen, let's have our corporate times of singing not merely be confessional affirmation, but affectionate revelation. Not just confessional, yes, it's true, Jesus is the worthiest Lamb of God. No, but let's reveal that he is. John writes this story, I think first and foremost, because he loved the Lord Jesus. And he loved what this story said about the Lord Jesus. But he also wrote it to the church through the ages And he invites us to join Mary at her side in the Spirit and say, with what she is still saying right now, the same thing, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God who was buried for our sins. Worthy is the resurrection and the life. Worthy is the righteous one who took on our sin. Worthy is the king of kings who became man. Worthy is the one who is coming back to take his people to worship him forever. Worthy of our highest affection and our deepest reverence. Worthy of our greatest glory and our eternal praise. Worthy is the lamb. And we sing and worship him and lift up his name. Amen. Let's listen from Charles Spurgeon and let him conclude our message this morning. He says, come, dear friends. Do you feel that kind of emotion in your hearts at this time? Do you even now feel that so perfectly has Christ won the verdict of your understanding so completely as he bound in silken fetters every movement of your affections that you need to be doing something which shall will have but this one aim? to express your love to him who has made you what you are. Indulge the emotion, crown it with action, and continue it through life. In this point, be not slow to be imitators of the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Oh, sweet love of Jesus, come and fill our souls to the brim and run over in delicate personal service. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I pray for this church, Lord, that already expresses such affection for you. Lord, that they would do so more and more. That we would, all of us, do so more and more. Lord, I pray even this week that we would run to you with eagerness and joy and anticipation. Lord, that you would convict us of any ways, Lord, that we are focused on ourselves and robbing you of affection. And I pray, Lord, for our Sunday gatherings. Lord, may they be filled with the aroma of your worthiness. I pray that for this church. I pray that for Redemption Hill, for all of our churches. May they be filled with the sound and the sight of your glory revealed in the praises of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.